How are you doing? <laughs> what a week, huh? I'm Richard Bay. This is Richard Bay Talk uh, with my producer, Albert Reynoso. Um, but as I said, what a week, huh? Well, you don't, Albert, you don't follow me. I, I can't. You don't know any. Well, I hate to tell you. <laughs> Racist murder in that uh, Buffalo supermarket. I did hear Gun rights, um, formula shortage, uh, events in Ukraine, Supreme Court, uh, Clarence Thomas is kvetching about, you know, uh, uh, people demonstrating. There was a Trump rally with an incitement to violence. And then to cheer us all up, the New York Times came up with this. It's a map of all the people who have died of COVID uh, there, where's the head? Oh, that's pleasant. Right? This yeah. was the Sunday New York Times. One million dead. Let me see. If, ah, there it is. One million. Okay, so that's, those are some of the topics we'll cover today, as well as uh, something that's in short supply, and that is integrity, and something that is in great supply, unfortunately, and that is despair. That will all be coming up at the end of the broadcast, along with a clip from probably my favorite interview of all time, the one where I sat down with Sammy Davis Jr. But as you watch this clip today, you're going to know something that none of the television viewing audience know that nobody in that live audience sitting there knew, that Sammy Davis Jr. knew, didn't know, sorry, and only I knew. So as you watch this, it's going to have a special significance uh, for me and a special understanding for you. So that's Sammy Davis Jr. at the end of the pro uh, uh, broadcast. Of course, the big headlines are all about the 10 people who were shot in the Topps supermarket in... Uh, northern new york state and um the cops are saying there's no way this is anything but a racially motivated attack um you know most of the people that he shot were black they found what they suspect is a manifesto that keeps mentioning this right-wing conspiracy 30 theory about replacement theory that the democrats are trying to replace the true Americans who go to the polls with immigrants and people of color and with uh, people, uh, you know, from the, uh, uh, from countries where they're easily manipulated. Um, and that was a good part of his manifesto as he went on his, uh, prepared for his murderous rampage that he streamed live. So, Afterwards, most of the focus is on, oh, the internet, oh, it's the terrible internet, and it's Reddit, and it's it's this guy consorting with white supremacists in the dark, um, you know, uncensored portions of the internet. But And then, of course, people are focusing on Tucker Carlson, who has made this conspiracy theory delusion a mainstay of his television show, repeating it over and over again. But it's not even just Tucker Carlson. This morning, people are looking at, well, here's a, a tweet from Matt Gates. Uh, Tucker Carlson was correct about replacement theory. He explains what is happening to America. 
the Anti-Defamation League as a racist organization because they had condemned Tucker Carlson. And then the third ranking Republican in the House is a woman named Elise Stefanik. She's Harvard educated. She's intelligent. And she started off with a lot of respect, uh, bipartisan respect. And then she went full MAGA. And this is one of her tweets. Uh, where she talks about replacement theory. Not only that, she gets to meld replacement theory delusion with the pedophilia delusion about the Democrats. She calls them the usual pedo grifters are so out of touch with the American people. Um, And uh, she complains about the baby formula, that we're sending baby formula Uh, to the babies that are coming across the border. Rather than giving that baby uh, formula to the white, all-American babies right here at home, let those little brown-skinned kids just starve to death. Nobody's starving in America from the baby uh, baby formula shortage that I know of. In fact, yesterday, there was some of it even available on Amazon. I think there is a shortage, but people are still finding it. Uh, and uh, the government and Joe Biden is trying to address this shortage in, in many different ways. Um, so, you know, it, it's also, I mean, I should mention this. Adam Kinzinger, who is a Republican, said to Elise Stefanik, you got to stop it with this replacement theory garbage. He says, you're going to get somebody killed. But on the other hand, Trump had a rally in Austin, Texas um, over the weekend. And his warm-up act was the rock and roller Ted Nugent. And he doesn't seem to care if somebody gets killed. In fact, he would love it if they do. He was warming up the MAGA audience for Donald Trump's appearance Uh, right after his, or soon after his. Not that the MAGA audience needs warming up. They're they're already boiling over the top. But here was Ted Nugent telling them what they should do to make him happy. Sent me to do this. So thank you for being here. But remember, you being here won't matter unless each and every one of you go forth and motivate, inspire, force, if I do say so myself, everybody in your life to think of what the enemies of America have done in the last 14 months. And that they didn't sneak into the White House, they lied, they cheated, they scammed, and every day the Democrats violate their sacred oath to the Constitution. And if you can't impress your friends on that, they shouldn't be your friends. So I love you people madly, but I'd love you more if you went forward and just went berserk on the skulls of the Democrats and the Marxists and the communists. Just go berserk on the skulls of the Democrats and Marxists and communists, whatever. And, and, And this is on a stage where the former president of the United States is going to address the audience. Now, he had just been told about the massacre, the racist massacre up in Buffalo. So he did mention it, 
Did he ask for a prayer? Did he ask for sympathy? Did he say, we have to do something about this? No. He mentioned it, and then he falsely stated that uh, while he was president, um, um, Americans, there were no American soldiers killed in Afghanistan for 18 months, which wasn't true. But of course, he took even that bloody massacre, that vile mass murder, and said, hey, look at me, look what I did. Soldiers didn't die in Afghanistan when I was there. I mean, it, it's sick. All right, so while we're all focused on abortion and the uh, leak of the Alito decision, there is something else going on here, and it does relate to Buffalo as well, and that has to do with gun rights. Um, the, uh, in California, they had a law that if you were under 21 years of age, you were prohibited from buying an automatic weapon, like buying an AR-50, semi-automatic, I should say, before somebody jumps on me, like an AR-15. Well, Judge Ryan Nelson overturned that um, prohibition. He wants 18 years. The kid up in Buffalo is 18, you know. But he said, listen to, <laughs> listen to what he wrote in his decision overturning the law. America would not exist without the heroism of the young adults who fought and died in the Revolutionary Army. Today, we reaffirm that our Constitution still protects the right that enabled their sacrifice, the right of young adults to keep and bear arms. Well, the uh, yeah, in a well-regulated militia or in an army, not a personal right. Nobody is saying that 18-year-olds who enlist in the armed forces should have to carry wooden rifles. This isn't about military use of these military weapons. It's about civilian use. But by the way, uh, Judge Ryan Nelson, surprise, surprise, a Trump appointee. So now in California, they overturned the law. 18-year-olds will be able to walk in and uh, get their AR-15 and then go back and massacre people in their schools. Uh, that's not the only case, though. While we're all focus focused on overturning Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court just recently heard a case. They're going to have a decision. It's going to probably be saying that the final decision about Roe is released. And this is a decision called New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. And it has to do with the right to carry concealed weapons. And that in New York State, you have to, you have to show a reason. You have to have a purpose to be able to walk around on the streets with a concealed weapon. And the argument in this case, which most of the conservative justices and the Trump appointees seem to favor is, hey, why shouldn't, when it's crime like this, why shouldn't everybody be able to walk around with a, uh, a, a loaded weapon on their person, even if it's concealed? Can you imagine, you know, getting on the subway in New York 
<laughs> people have guns and something happens, you know, and the, the shootout. Of, you think people are going to be safer in New York City if everybody's walking over? Not everybody, because everybody won't get it. But if you don't have a gun, boy, you're going to be, you know, left out when the shooting starts. So one of the things that they rest this upon was the decision by written by Justice Scalia called Heller, which affirmed the right to keep a gun in your home for your self-protection. Now Alito says, well, there's, when he looked at the abortion, uh, Roe versus Wade, he said, oh, there's nothing in the Constitution that explicitly gives abortion, uh, you know, uh, makes it a right. Well, what the hell is there in the Constitution that explicitly says you can have a gun in your house for your own protection? There is nothing there. The Second Amendment calls for the creation of militias. It begins by saying uh, that a well-regulated militia let me see if I have it written down here, the exact wording. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of the free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. All right. What the hell happened to the well-regulated militia part of that? And if you think the Continental Congress wasn't thinking about militias when they wrote that, let me inform you of this. The Bill of Rights, that Second Amendment among them, uh, they were ratified in 1791. What did Congress do just a few months later? They created something called the Militia Act of 1792, which stated that every American between the ages of 18 and I believe it's 40, at least not every American, every white male American, would have to have a musket or a rifle and show up for militia duty. So it said nothing about, oh, you have you have a right to go hunting with your gun. Oh, you have a right to, you know, to defend yourself if robbers or engines come and attack your home. Didn't say anything. There's no explicit right to that in the Constitution. Hey, if you're an originalist and you want to look at historical context, look at the Militia Act of 1792 and look at the word. Now, Chief Justice Berger, who was a, uh, um, a chief justice on the Supreme Court in the 70s, he said um, the personal right to own a weapon in the Constitution is a fraud. Individual gun rights are a fraud. Stephen Breyer said originalism is arrogance cloaked as humility. But it's also a fraud. Because if you really want to go back and look at the history, um, history is a grand buffet. And you can stay in the salad section, or you can go and eat some of the meats. Or maybe if you really like desserts, you go over and you grab the desserts. But each of these justices picks out whatever they want out of history to justify their decision. 
In 2013, the National Archives launched a database that was searchable. It was for all the writings and papers of the six founders. They found that the phrase, two bare arms, was used 153 times. Every single time it was in a military context. And of course, it says the right to bear arms. It doesn't say the right to own arms. You bear the arms as you go off in your well-regulated militia to protect your state. Now, there are those people who say, oh, well, the reason we have those militias is uh, what if we have a tyrannical government? They can overthrow it, which is also the biggest crock. The U.S. Constitution states, and this is explicit, it's in the Constitution. The militias are to provide for calling forth the militia to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections, and repel invasions. It doesn't say anything about overthrowing the tyrannical, tyrannical United States government. And if you want to go back and look at history, I got a great example for you. There was something called the Whiskey Rebellion in western Pennsylvania at the time Washington was president. <coughs> Washington and Hamilton called forth the militia, which just shows how stupid that idea is. <laughs> Listen, the state governors, if you're going to overthrow the tyrannical government, the state governors can call forth the militia, but the president can call forth it and put it under his control. If you had a tyrannical president, he could call forth the militia to put you down. And that's exactly what Washington and, and Alexander Hamilton did. They had the largest force since the Revolutionary War, and they put down a group of people in the Whiskey Rebellion who thought the government was tyrannical. Tyrannical in their taxation of whiskey. So Washington and Hamilton marched these militias out, put down these American revolutionaries, patriots who, who thought they were living under a tyrannical government, and they arrested uh, a bunch of them. Four of them were tried for treason, but I think that Washington pardoned them, and one of them he pardoned because he lacked mental facilities <laughs> to really understand what he was doing. In, in other words, he was, uh, quote, unquote, a moron, which is the same sort of clemency you might want to find today with the January 6th uh, revolutionaries. So, you know, I have to warn you, you know, Roe versus Wade, I, I spoke about that last week. But this whole idea that everyone has a right to have a gun and carry it around, you know, in almost all the places that they go, except, you know, Justice Roberts was concerned. He said, well, you know, uh, you shouldn't be allowed to bring a court, uh, bring a gun into a courtroom. No, that would be too dangerous because judges, you know, we have to protect them. Judges, uh, you know, have a right to protection. They, judges also have a right to privacy. You know, listen, I'm not for these people marching in front of the justices' homes. I don't think it's productive. I think it gives Republicans a talking point. But I think they do have a right if they are peaceably marching 
or holding a candlelight vis visual while they move back and forth in front of their homes. They shouldn't be using bullhorns or anything like that. But I think they do have the right. I mean, the Constitution does give you the right of assembly. And I know there's that 1950 law, but the Constitution, hey, aren't we always told? That comes before everything else. So the right of assembly is important. All right, so what else? Ukraine. Wow. Remember when they told you this would be over in a week? They're now announcing that the, uh, or the British intelligence has announced that the Russians have lost one-third of the forces they've had in Ukraine. And just last week, the Ukrainians blew up a bridge that the Russians were trying to use um, to push back the Ukrainians. And from what I've read, they said a battalion was lost. I went to look it up. A Russian battalion is six to 800 soldiers. And just remember, well, when you, when you start to despair of everything, just remember, there was no hope for Ukraine. And I said I wanted to talk about integrity, uh, something which is almost non-existent, at least in the Republican Party, and in some quarters of the Democratic Party, you will find that lack as well. Kevin McCarthy says, I, I, I never said I was going to talk with Trump about resigning, and then, of course, the tapes come out, and Kevin McCarthy on January 6th, right after, on January 6th, I, you know, blames Trump. He says Trump took responsibility. And then when he sees that the wind isn't blowing in his direction, he runs to Mar-a-Lago to kiss the ring. And this is the man who wants to be the leader of the Republican Party in the House and might very well be after the next election. But he is, I guess, a, a prime example of someone who has just no personal respect, integrity. He was the guy that was recorded saying, I think um, Trump is on Putin's payroll. And they have a recording of that as well. And then he runs to Mar-a-Lago. You know, there was a book, Tom Wolfe is the guy who wrote Bonfire of the Vanities. He's a, you know, a well-known American author. He wrote a book also called A Man in Full. And in some ways, it's like Bonfire because it's a man who has spent his life looking for money, looking for beautiful women, looking for the material things. And by the, uh, the trials and tribulations that he endures, and losing everything, he finds himself. And there's one story in A Man in Full that I've remembered all my life. And it's about something that occurred in the time of Nero. It may be an apocryphal story, it probably is. But Nero was the emperor. And in those days, Nero would make poets, political leaders, um, people who had any influence, orators in the uh, in in the Roman uh, governmental system, 
He would make them come in and perform in these vulgar, humiliating productions where they would be seen farting and defecating and having sex. And the whole idea was to strip any of these people who had influence of their dignity so nobody would listen to them again. So at one point, there is a poet who comes and meets a Stoic philosopher. You know, Stoicism was the Marcus Aurelius philosophy. Um, and it, it also has to do with finding yourself and understanding who you are. So this poet comes to the Stoic philosopher and he goes, oh my God, I just got an invitation from Nero to be in one of his productions. You know how humiliating they are, how humiliating, how terrible they are. Nobody will ever have any respect for us. He goes, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And the Stoic philosopher says, well, You will do the production, and I won't. And the poet gets angry. He's pissed off and says, how do you know that? How do you know I'll do it and you won't? And the Stoic philosopher says, because you considered it. And that's always been an important story to me. When you're confronted with something that you know is morally wrong and you go along with it or you support it because the penalty you'll suffer will just be too high. Well, going along with it, the penalty you suffer is that you lose who you are, and you lose your dignity. Now, there's a scene, if you watch Succession, there's a guy who's, he's like an emperor. He is this corporate head, and at one point, he suspects that some of the executives in his company might be working against his interests. So he has them all come to a resort, and he has them play a game called bore on the floor and he makes them get down on their hands and knees snouting around the floor while he throws sausages at them and shouts i want to hear oinks no half-hearted oinks and these millionaire executives because they're afraid of losing their position they get down on their hands and knees and they start oinking and groveling for the sausages. Because if they don't play the game, they'll get fired. That was one of the, you know, there's a lot of things on this show that, that are really could be horrifying. Uh, you know, to me, that's the one that's always stuck with me. I watched that and I said, well, you got to draw the line before you get to it. I wouldn't get down on my hands and knees. I'd lose the job. And I've lost jobs before because I wouldn't get down and, and give a uh, full-hearted oink. All right, so this last clip is an interview I did with Sammy Davis Jr. It's 
It's my favorite interview. And I wish I had the time to put up the whole hour. But I don't. So I've chosen this section of the clip to show you because it has a special significance for me. It was my birthday. It was my birthday, and I was really looking forward to this big interview with Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, my God. He was he was like a member of my family. My grandmother named her parakeet Sammy Davis Jr. because he sang all the time. My father told me things about Sammy Davis Jr., as you'll see uh, at the beginning of the clip. So this is the night before my birthday. I get a phone call from a hairdresser in Philadelphia who says she's been cutting the hair of somebody at Channel 9, one of the executive producers, and that he told her that I was being fired and replaced by Matt Lauer. Now, my contract was up, and I did have a tough agent. I got a tough agent because I never did this for the money. It was fun. Everything. This thing is fun. You know, I don't get paid for this. So I needed somebody who really cared about the money. And I got this tough as nails agent named Alfred Geller, who a lot of the executives didn't like. And when I spoke to Alfred Geller, we were in these negotiations. Geller goes, I told them, well, I, I, when, I, when I showed up there, the ratings on Channel 9 were zero point something. When I took over the show, it was people are talking. We had a four rating in most of our ratings books. We weren't number one, but we were number two. And this was an independent station. The Price is Right was always number one. But we were beating all the other talk shows and things that were on during that time. And my agent said to me, I told them, Double this kid's salary or don't call us back. And I said, Alfred, no, don't say that. The executives think they are the stars. They don't believe in anything called talent. They think, oh, I put, I'm the one that made you by sticking a camera in your face. So Alfred said, don't worry about it. You know, we'll get it. And then I get this phone call that I'm going to be fired. So the next morning, Right before I go in to do the interview, I call my agent and I said, I heard I'm being fired and replaced with Matt Lauer. And my agent says, yeah, that's what they just told me. And I had to go out there and do a live interview with Sammy Davis Jr. The show must go on. But in the course of the interview, he spoke about an opportunity that he had missed that might have changed his whole career. And he gave me some advice. And at the end, I said, you don't know how important it is for me to hear that right now. Now, no one in the studio audience knew what I was talking about, none of the crew really had known yet what so what I was talking about none of the people watching it knew what I was talking about even Sammy Davis Jr. didn't know what I was referring to but now you do 
Oh, I feel like you're almost part of the family. When I was growing up, I, and I was just telling you this before in the green room, when I was growing up, every time I, if I tried to do something and I couldn't do it well or I failed at it or I didn't have an aptitude or a talent for it, my father, to soften the blow uh, of the realization that I had limitations, would say to me, Richard, nobody can do everything except Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> That's so nice. And you do all of it so, so well. Uh, get out of here. Yeah, you, come on. You don't believe it yourself? You don't have that faith in your talent? When I was raised in show business, it was part and parcel of our business, not to, uh, speaking medically, not to be a specialist, but a general practitioner. <laughs> a little bit of everything. You had to know how to say a line, sing a song, tap dance, do a joke, whatever. You had to do that. That was part and parcel. One of, the, one of the things is I read your book, and you make everything look so easy, and it looked, I, I mean, and, and you were a big star even when I was born, frankly, so it seems like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I was, oh, that's all right. I, sometimes I look at myself and I go like this, aren't you ever going to quit? <laughs> but there's something, I, I've got to take a break right now. But remember the movie The Defiant Ones with Sidney yes. Poitier and Tony Curtis, a wonderful movie and a groundbreaking movie. Absolutely. It could have been a movie with Sammy Davis Jr. and Elvis Presley handcuffed together as two convicts on the lamb. It that could was, have been. That we'll talk about idea. that. <laughs> we'll talk about why it wasn't when we come back. Stay with us. Back. People are talking. Our special guest today. Very privileged to have Sammy Davis Jr. as a special guest. I talked before we went to break about The Defiant Ones, a groundbreaking movie. Tony Curtis, Sidney Poitier, two convicts chained together on the lam, escaping from prison. One of them is a white racist, another is a black criminal. Together, through the course of their escape and the fact that they're chained together and have to work together, they develop a mutual respect and uh, an understanding of humanity for each other. Yes. You, at one time, we're set to do that movie with Elvis Presley. Well, no, don't make it sound like I produced it now. No. <laughs> uh, but Stanley Kramer, his original thought was to have Elvis Presley and Sammy Davis Jr. do it. I was told this story by our agency, William Morris. And, Did you know uh, Elvis Presley personally? Yes. Yeah. And uh, it was brought to the colonel. Uh, he said, no way. No way, he said. And Elvis and I, at the time, were very tight, very close, you know, and he's uh, a good friend. And we used to hang out together. So when I'd, I had already leaked a little word to him, I said, hey, we got a chance to make a movie together, you know. And he said, hey, that would be great. What did what you, I said, Psst, dude, don't say nothing now, but let me tell you what it's about. So I gave him a, a brief synopsis of it. He said, that's great. He said, we'll be able to show the people something, you know, blah, blah, blah. Came back three, four days later. We were together. He said, Sam, the movie's out. And I said, what, what happened? He said, uh, this, it's not, they won't let me do it. And then I heard bits and pieces that went on. And I'm still hearing little, little things from part of the Memphis Mafia, you know, the guys that hung around uh, Elvis. And every once in a while, somebody will say, well, you know what really happened was there was a confrontation. With, with the colonel, and he said he didn't want it to happen, you know. And that's what I heard. I heard that only about five years ago. Elvis never came to you and explained the real reason? No, he, uh, 
except exactly what I said just now. He dropped it, and I wasn't going to do this and pry into it because I respected the relationship that I had with him too much. I know, but that could have been an incredible breakthrough oh, yeah. role for you. Made, made him. I get a flash fit. As you survive in this business, and a piece of advice, you better learn to be a fatalist. Do the best you can do, and if the chips don't fall that way, don't stop and cry over it, because as you're stopping to cry over it, the train passes you by. <laughs> Keep up with that train. <laughs> and you don't know how important those words are to me at this very moment. <laughs> Someday I will tell you a story. All right. <laughs> okay. And that's why the story was so important to me. By the way, the reason uh, Colonel Parker, Elvis's manager, didn't buy him to do the movie with Sammy Davis Jr. is that he said they would not buy his records if they saw him in a movie that favorably depicted relationships between a white and a black. All right. So that's pretty much the end of this. Uh, but I did say I was going to talk a bit about despair. And I have so many friends who seem to be despairing. I, one of my friends in New York is a very, very dear woman. And she, she said to me, Oh, Richard, she said, first it was COVID and then it was Delta and then Omicron and, and then, and then the Ukraine and the babies dying and the mothers and then uh, uh, the, the Supreme Court and abortion, she goes. And then I stepped outside and I said to my landlord, I don't have any hot water. And he said, yeah, well, what do you want me to do about it? So <laughs> she couldn't take it anymore, but she's not the only one. And what I would say to you is don't despair. Don't give up. Be true to yourself and keep fighting. And I came across this little meme on the internet um, just yesterday. And it's a takeoff on that uh, poem about do not go gentle into that good night. But what is it? But fight, rage, rage against the dying of the light. This one says, do not go gently into the midterms. Rage, rage against the lying of the right. Okay, and with those words, it is time for me to say thank you for watching and all my best. Don't miss the next train. <laughs>